Our first scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 63. The psalmist confesses the depth of their need, a thirst as if they are in the desert with no water to drink. Yet they trust in the help of the Lord, and their soul sings for joy. Listen now to God's word as it comes to us from the 63rd Psalm, verses 1 through 8. O oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you with joy. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my heart, hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy and my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, the 52nd chapter, beginning with the seventh verse. Before I read it, a brief word of introduction. Last week on the first Sunday of Advent, we focused on the gift of hope. This week, as we focus on the gift of joy, I'm reminded of the relationship between hope and joy. A wisdom Jessica shared with us in a quote from Henry Nouwen. He writes, there's an intimate relationship between joy and hope. While optimism makes us live as if someday soon things will get better for us, hope frees us from the need to predict the future and allows us to live in the present with the deep trust that God will never leave us alone, but will fulfill the deepest desires of our heart. Joy in this perspective, he says. Joy is the fruit of hope. Joy is the fruit of hope. Listen then for this word from scripture. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen. Your sentinels lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy. For in plain sight, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. 
break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, open our eyes to your presence now, our hearts to your future, our minds to the possibilities of joy. Be with us and speak into us this day, we pray. And may all God's people say, Amen. We often think of joy as a feeling, something that's a response to what we experience. We might feel joy when we witness a bright sunrise or laugh with a dear friend or as I have discovered again in Albuquerque with my granddaughter when we hold a little baby. But scripture urges us not just to experience joy as a passive response. Instead, we're urged to practice joy as a faithful choice. I, I love what Breen said about his family choosing to practice joy in the midst of grief. Joy can be a practice, a faithful choice. And today, I want to explore with you what that practice might look like. First, the practice of joy is ancient, as witnessed by the Psalter, which urges joy's expression in innumerable circumstances. Just as the earth itself and the trees of the forest sing for joy, so also we are urged to take notice of God's presence. Yet it's also true that far too often we miss it. I love the verse from Isaiah that we just heard. Listen, your sentinels lift up their voices together. They sing for joy for in plain sight. In plain sight, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. What if, what if God's presence were with us in plain sight all along? but we simply didn't notice. Honestly, I, I suspect that it is often not lack of faith, but simply inattention that obstructs our view. Even in the best of times, there are a thousand ordinary things that distract us from God's presence. We get caught up in the immediate tasks of our days. Our attention is consumed by our to-do lists, chores to be done, emails sent, phone calls to be returned, family tended. At times we grow so accustomed to our immediate surroundings and even our loved ones that we no longer even notice 
their particular features. At time, at times we become anesthetized to feelings altogether. And we move through our days like zombies, numbed by stress or stagnation or sipping too much wine or whatever's on the screen in front of us. Faith. Faith invites us instead to savor the joy of God's glory, to savor it, to notice with intention God's presence in our very midst all along. And isn't that the invitation of Advent? To lift our eyes to the gateways of morning sunrise and evening sunset, to open our ears to the waves and to see the strength of the mountains, to take in the flow of rivers and the breadth of the plains and the wilderness and hills that are girded with joy, to savor the rich feast that the psalmist sings of, to taste and see how gracious the Lord really is. As we pay attention, as we pay attention, we just might be surprised that we also discover the joy of God's glory showing up in unexpected places, like a family table where grieving would be normal. Scripture is filled with startling encounters with God's presence. And once we are open, we might come closer to the way of Jesus who said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which someone found. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. It might be right in front of us all along, even if we did not know it. And so it is with us in our joy at our discovery of God's presence right in front of us, the rest of our life comes into new perspective, into right perspective. I wonder, I wonder what it would mean if we contemplated all the unexpected places and times when we felt the presence of God near us. All those unexpected times when God was present in a place we least expected. And even more, I wonder if it could encourage us to consider how being open to God's presence not only brings momentary awe and joy, but can transform our very lives. I've come to wonder 
whether the greatest power of joy's transformation happens not when things are beautiful or maybe even average, but when things are especially painful. The causes of human pain are legion, of course. Sometimes they're of our own making, sometimes simply part of the natural order, sometimes brought unintentionally by others, sometimes brought cruelly with deep intention. Sometimes our suffering is brief. At other times, the trauma can linger for years. But whatever our pain, our illness, or guilt, injustice, grief, loss, hunger, helplessness, shame, poverty, or a million other things, in every case, our ability to experience joy is understandably dulled. And yet, and yet, while God would never will our suffering, it is precisely when God comes to us in our deepest pain that we experience some of our most valuable our most transformative moments of joy. For those of us who have suffered deeply and found new life, the joy of Psalm 63 may well resonate. Oh God, you are my God, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And now my soul is satisfied. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast. And, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you for your right hand upholds me. Any of us, any of us who have ever received God's deep mercy as individuals or as a people, we cannot help but rejoice to remember long, long after the moment of our salvation. And we continue in that remembering to practice deeply that joy. I've come to believe that in the end, joy is rarely dependent on our present circumstances, but rather 
rooted in the trust of God's current presence, rooted in the trust in God's past redemption, and ultimately rooted in God's future promises, even when we cannot know how they will manifest themselves, even when our spirits wait. The depth, the depth of this joy in uncertain and troubled times is echoed throughout history by the faithful. And I can't help but think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's last letter to his friends, written in November 1942. He begins by acknowledging the loss of numerous faithful who died at the hands of the Nazis. Yet throughout the letter, he points to joy. He says, joy abides with God and it comes down from God and embraces spirit, soul, and body. And where this joy has seized a person, there it spreads. And it carries one away. There it bursts open closed doors. And even though he died in prison, I have no doubt that joy infused Bonhoeffer's spirit and through his faithfulness, his joy did spread, bursting through the prison doors, spreading beyond the limits of time and space. And so may it be for us, wherever we stand, behind whatever doors may still feel closed. Joy is not impossible, for nothing is impossible with God. So where, my friends, will you practice joy? Perhaps it will be in the most ordinary moments of your life when you lift your eyes to the things that you used to take for granted, like being able to sing together again, or savor the rich feast of Christ's table. Perhaps joy will come in unexpected places, in the kindness of a stranger or the laughter of a child in some small treasure hidden in a field and playing hearts at the family table. Perhaps joy will come in the midst of your sorrows and stresses. Discovering the presence of God in the gift of new life, in forgiveness, in healing, even and especially when you feel most despondent. And perhaps, perhaps joy will come in ways of the promises of God that are yet to be fulfilled, that we can't yet see or know completely in the promise 
that one day all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Amen.